Failure is not an option. What difference at this point does it make? Nobody said it was going to be fun. This is Real Talk, a fearless, poignant, and intrepid show where truth speaks louder than words. This is Real Talk with your host, Audrey Russo. It's a shame, not of this world, so we live on the run. We keep our eyes set, eyes on what is to come. It happened before, it will happen again. It's just a question of when. Time's a luxury we don't have. This is Michael Brown, host of the Line of Fire radio broadcast and author of the brand new book, Jezebel's War with America. You are listening to my friend, Audrey Russo, on Real Talk Radio. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, this is Audrey Russo, and you're listening to Real Talk. The communist left has turned our prosperous republic into a smoldering dung heap. Is this a new tactic or typical Marxist madness? And as the world is distracted by manufactured crises, Christians are being slaughtered in Africa by those peaceful Muslims. And we're going to discuss this and more with my next guest, direct from South Africa. For my new listeners, Dr. Peter Hammonds is the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship, the founder and the chairman of Africa Christian Action, the director of the Christian Action Network, and chairman of the Reformation Society. He's the author of several books, including Faith Under Fire in Sudan, In the Killing Fields of Mozambique, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, the Historical Roots, and the Contemporary Threat. It's my great pleasure to give a real talk welcome back to Dr. Peter Hammond. Welcome back, Peter. Thank you, Audrey. Good to be back with Real Talk. It's always great to have you with us. And we're going to jump right into this. Um, first, uh, a blown-up influenza-like virus where numbers were fabricated in order to implement a paralysis of fear on the population. Then suddenly, our Democrat-controlled major cities are covered in rioters, looting, dest destruction of federal buildings and retail shops, and brutally attacking anyone who is not with them. It's gone on for 66 days unabated in Portland, Oregon now. So, Peter, you're familiar with this behavior. Would you tell us, 
if what we're seeing on the streets is typical of Marxists and if it looks like this is another attempt to hurt the most anti-globalist president in U.S. history? Oh, you know, anything that happens in America during an election year is about the election. We know that. And communist tactics don't change. I've, I've lived through three revolutions and been involved in eight wars, uh, worked in 38 countries all across Africa. And uh, I can tell you, <laughs> this is how Marxists work. Revolution, in fact, Vladimir Lenin said, never underestimate the power of constructive chaos. Now, what they mean is, if you want something to be done, you basically act like a spoiled brat. You must have been at stores where there's some screaming kid throwing a performance temper tantrum, flinging themselves on the floor, making a scene, maybe throwing things around. And uh, generally what you see is the parents kowtowing to the kid to give them what they want. So what do those little brats learn? Well, make enough noise, be embarrassing enough, uh, humiliate your parents or parents and uh, cause damage and you'll get what you want. Yeah. And at the time, I remember uh, decades ago, my wife and I look at this saying, God help us when these kids grow up. And of course, they have grown up and they turned into BLM and Antifa and you see them on the streets now. They've basically been rewarded. The more damage you do, the more of a noise you make, the more uh, you scream and curse and destroy things, the more people pander to your demands. This is how revolutionaries get what they want. And it didn't just start this year. We've seen the French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution. Hey, I've seen it in the Zimbabwe Revolution. This is how Marxist mobs work. So this is just typical behavior. I mean, they don't even change their tactics, do they? No, it's temper tantrum tactics. This is what <laughs> it is. It's mob rule. And if you're a social Darwinist, I mean, just think, if you actually believe in evolution, once upon a time there was nothing, and then there was something, that something became everything, how? Well, by an explosion. There was nothing, and then nothing exploded for no reason, and it became everything, and became dinosaurs and giraffes and all that. And uh, so... If you believe in the Big Bang theory of Darwinian social theory, then basically burn down enough buildings, blow up enough things, and hey, socialist utopia will arrive. <laughs> do, do you also find, because this is part of it, I think, the, what they're calling the cancel culture, where they're trying to wipe out history, is that also a, a tactic or a goal of the Marxist? Oh, yes, very much so. In fact, Karl Marx said, new gods need to be installed. And Lenin repeated that our goal is to pu pull down God from heaven. Uh, and he he made it quite clear that God is our ultimate enemy. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn documented it in his writings about that at the heart of Marxism is a hatred for God. And what's so important is they must pull down your real heroes in order to install their fake heroes. So the great heroes of, for example, Russia or France needed to be pulled down symbolically. The statues were pulled down first. Then they started guillotining uh, the authorities in the state and they ended up guillotining one another. Um, and uh, I mean, that's what actually Marxists do. But the only good thing you can say is they end up killing one another too. But the this is how it starts. They destroy your history. And it's been documented by Otto Scott in his uh, book, uh, Robespierre, Inside the French Revolution, that the uh, what happened in France before the French Revolution was something that had never happened in human history before. The people grew ashamed of themselves, ashamed of their history, ashamed of their culture, and didn't believe that their country, France, was worth defending or protecting. And this had been done by constant uh, assault of smut uh, by 
the uh, in fact, they called their newspapers libels, and that's where you got your word libel sheet from, because uh, the, the libels were, were the, the papers. And so they were so full of libels against people, uh, and anyone in high places, church, state, didn't matter, just scandal, 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 including historic heroes. And so basically at the end, the people of France before the French Revolution felt they were so guilt-manipulated, they were so demoralized, they did not feel, they, they, their faith was gutted, the churches were gutted, the priests didn't believe in their religion, the people in the pews didn't believe in, in the religion, the people didn't believe in the government, they didn't believe in the country, they didn't believe in the history, anything. And in that vacuum, and also with debauchery coming in, huge amount of debauchery, he said that uh, for the first time in civilized society, in pre-revolutionary France, the pornography and smut and perversions emerged from the caves and became accepted in normal society. And homosexuals had held public balls to which the police stood by and held their carriages and uh, the respected people of the city came to their balls. And uh, that uh, perversion became not just tolerated but celebrated. Are you serious? Prepared the way. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Oh, my God. I, I'm shocked. I didn't know that happened. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, unfortunately, there was this debasing of society in France, in Russia before the Bolshevik Revolution. You can see it in every revolution. You see, it's so important. If you just take, you've heard these sayings, corrupt and conquer, confuse, divide and conquer. And so you can see this pattern in every revolution. They want to corrupt you. They want to confuse you. They want to divide you. Think race politics, identity politics. This is all the idea. How can they defeat you unless they first corrupt you, confuse you, and divide you? Yeah, yeah. Well, sure, we've been seeing that. We've even been seeing that with, and it's reminding some people that remember back then when the Stasi had people, uh, in just your neighbors that would rat you out to uh, to the government. Uh, you had people go into these insane uh, rants and even physically attack people if they weren't wearing a mask. Oh, it's absolutely insane. Like that, that woman screaming at this mother whose child, who's a toddler, wasn't wearing a mask, which they shouldn't anyway, they shouldn't anyway. saying, I hope you all die. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is somebody who's apparently concerned for your safety and your health, and therefore they want you to wear a mask. It just shows it's nothing to do with medicine or science or your no. health no. Or because they care about you. Wearing a mask is actually a muzzle. It's a sign of submission. In fact, I understand how this works because I work in the Muslim Middle East, and women must wear the veil, not for any medical or scientific reason, it's a sign of submission. Yes. It's also to dehumanize them. And you notice in any firing squad through history, when they did firing squads, they would mask the, the person being shot. This wasn't because of their concern for the person about to shoot. It was because it's easier for soldiers uh, to shoot a person who's masked than it is to shoot someone whose face they can see. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. You dehumanize the target. And that's exactly what they're doing because they're even violating themselves. We, we've often asked, we know that HCQ not only is a cure, but it also is a prophylaxis. It prevents the virus from taking hold in the body. And some of these um, so-called leaders, uh, these, these politicians, have been seen without masks. They don't, uh, like for instance, Cuomo left New York and went to Georgia, did not wear a mask, came back, and when people said, you said anybody that enters New York has to self-quarantine for 14 days, he said, no, I, I don't have to, I'm essential. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, this is the thing that's so insulting 
from politicians for a politician to tell the rest of us, who, pay, by the way, pay their salaries, yes. and they're meant to be civil servants, yeah. that our work is not essential. What arrogance, if anything's not essential, it's most of the government departments, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, I should say something uh, by about this hydrochloroquine. Um, we use it in Africa all the time because it's been recognized for a very long time as the best treatment for malaria. And I've used it many a time. And uh, gee, I don't know that there's any serious side effects because mm. it gets us off the malaria, which is really serious. And people die of malaria. Uh, in fact, um, I don't know how many of your listeners would be aware, in Africa, on average, 2 million people die every year from malaria. From malaria? malaria. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, Hydrochloroquine is is one of the treatments for malaria, and, and it's very effective. Yes, and uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but I posted it on on the live show page. If you haven't seen, which you probably haven't, because they pulled it off the internet, was those America's Frontline Doctors, of which one is a, a regular guest. Uh, they they are they put their whole careers, everything on the line t- because they honor their oath and they don't want people to die. Um, needlessly. And yeah, they're pulling that off, but that's HCQ. They say it's one of the safest. It's been out for 65 years. <laughs> I mean, think yes. about that. Well, uh, it, it, it is safe and it's been used and it's been used widely. And uh, in fact, in Africa, uh, we can go to a chemist and get it across the counter without any prescription because they consider it that safe. Yes, you get right. They, as a matter of fact, the doctor said that that is safer than Tylenol. For people, so it uh, is probably so. Yes. yes. Now you have it over the counter. I didn't know that. I know that even Iran has it over the counter. India over oh, the counter. I, I go to the shop and I buy them uh, by the box because when we go into the field, we might be in a field for months in Sudan or uh, Congo and so on. And of course, you know, we we are at risk of malaria, and all of our missionaries have had malaria, so we need the treatment with us there and then. Uh, we we might be. Uh, thousands of kilometers from a good hospital and uh, so many cases uh, we've got to self-medicate and so uh, this is used very widely in Africa and it's uh, it can't be that dangerous because all of our people have survived malaria because of this treatment. Yeah and uh, it seems that it also works they're finding these things out Uh, they also use it for lupus they also um, use it for rheumatoid arthritis and it has so many benefits uh, it, it, it's shameful what's going on because Big Pharma, sadly, we find out, has been pressuring all these people. And you know what? You don't have to go along with them but because they have certain medications that they want out there and they cost much more than, a, you know, hydrochloroquine, oh. you know, much more. Cause well, yes. Yes. Well, in fact, just on that basis, <laughs> um, we've noticed in South Africa that uh, it's not worth buying it in Cape Town where I live because it'll cost 10 times more here. If I cross the border in Zimbabwe, it's a lot cheaper. Going to Zambia, it's cheaper. In fact, the further north I go, the cheaper it gets because it's more commonly used. So if you're in America, you might have to pay a fair bit more for that. In fact, we've noticed that medicines that in Africa we can buy for 10% or less than what you pay in America. So there's no doubt that your pharmaceutical companies pad things and, and maybe it's partly packaging and all of the rest of it. But uh, I think America's paying an exorbitant amount more for your medicine. Yes. It looks like a massive industry. And I saw some statistics recently that pharmaceuticals have now topped uh, armaments and drugs as the biggest trade in the world. It used to be the drug trade and the armaments trades were competing with one another. Well, apparently the pharmaceutical industry now is bigger 
than weapons and even drugs. Oh, well, legal, illegal, legal, drugs. illegal. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, they, they, that they were trying. They had put out these studies, and they were. They anyway. By the way, I found out that studies takes years for them to publish them. But they published these very fast studies, and the studies, the people were given toxic amounts of HCQ, and this, this was their proof that HCQ is doesn't work and it's dangerous, and that it's unbelievable. What the pharmaceutical, you know, big pharma will do. Uh, meanwhile, while the world has been whipped up in fear, and without without a doubt, uh, Christians again have been crushed by the communist left. Now, in the U.S., Democrat governors have attempted to shut down churches. Uh, unfortunately, even the Supreme Court went along with one of those. You know, I guess they forgot to read the Constitution. Um, uh, you know, they allow abortion. Uh, mills and liquor stores, uh, casinos, but not churches. But far worse has happened to Christians in your part of the world. Um, would you tell us what's happening to Christians in Mozambique by Muslims? Oh. Yes, I've been a missionary to Mozambique since 1982. So my history there goes way back 38 years. And uh, uh, we've uh, still, we just recently uh, were delivering Bibles into Mozambique again. Uh, What's going on in Mozambique is hideous. We've got an Islamic jihadist uh, insurgency going on in the north of Sudan, uh, north of Mozambique. They call themselves the Islamic State, and they have been attacking towns, beheading Christians, burning churches. Uh, it's it's absolutely uh, a cruel. Many churches destroyed, many people beheaded, many young girls kidnapped, mm. uh, human trafficking. When people talk about slavery, I must say I'm often astounded that in America today, you've got some people on college campuses on very worked up about the slavery that ended, praise God, due to evangelical Christians like William Wilberforce 200 years ago, very incensed about slavery of 200 years ago that ended, but not concerned about slavery going on today. Mm -hmm. And we have the slave trade going on so much in the world that today there's 40 Two million people in the slave trade at least today, oh. everywhere from Red China to Saudi Arabia to Sudan, and even Mozambique now, slave raiders taking away young people into hideous conditions. Where is the outrage against burning of churches, crucifying of pastors, beheading of people, and kidnapping of girls into slave industries in, for example, Mozambique today? My Gosh, no! What, uh, well, we're not hearing this here. We had to look, find this out. But there, uh, has this been this way with Muslims against Christians in Mozambique? How long has that been going on? Well, um, if you go back um, a thousand years, it was going on, um, and, and then the Portuguese came about five hundred years ago, and 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 the slave trade started to be uh, wiped out. And of course, there was a time of peace. But in nineteen seventy-five, the the country was betrayed into the hands of the communists. There was a a Marxist revolution in Portugal, and the Marxist revolution in Portugal abandoned the overseas provinces of Portugal. Uh, it, they were not colonies, they were overseas provinces, run the same way as Portugal was. And uh, in those places, they handed them over to the Marxists. No referendum, no elections, no choice of the local people. They just gave them into the hands of the Cubans in Angola and Mar Soviet-backed terrorists in uh, Mozambique. And then they started to massacre the people, the, Muslim, the, the, the communists did. Oh well, goodness. when the war came to an end by 1994, which we were very grateful for, and we were heavily involved in helping the people in the resistance areas and smuggling Bibles in Mozambique, I was in prison there and experienced their tortures and so on. So uh, Mozambique, since 1994, has been at peace. But in the last 
10 years, we've seen an increase in Islamic terrorism, especially in the north of Mozambique, which has some uh, real um, serious natural gas and liquid gas uh, projects worth billions. And so it's, it's I think, uh, also economic. And what you're seeing is the Islamic slave trade of the Indian Ocean is being revived in recent times. And they're coming into countries that are a bit too weak to defend themselves, uh, like uh, Mozambique. So some contacts of mine, including ex-Rhodesian soldiers and ex-South African soldiers, are going in as military contractors. Um, they, You could call them mercenaries, but they're doing it for um, more ideological reasons than pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are helping to protect areas in Mozambique and to chase out these terrorists. So the government of Mozambique, while they've got an army, doesn't seem up to dealing with an insurgency. So they are calling on civilian contractors from Rhodesia and South African background who have the military skills. And they don't have all the great equipment. They've got themselves some helicopters and so on, but they're going in and they're, um, uh, they're the only ones who are giving the Muslims a run for their money and chasing them out of areas that they've taken over. So there's a little bit going on to protect the people, but generally the people are, are vulnerable because the old communist government disarmed the local people, took away their oh, weapons. So, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. criminals prefer unarmed victims. Yeah, it seems to work better for them that way. But uh, they're going to have a hard time in, in in America because everything that's happened has caused more and more people to buy weapons. So um, yep. I think the Second Amendment is here to stay at least for our lifetime now. It uh, should do. Uh, you never want to lose that because mm. um, an armed citizen can save lives, but unarmed citizens just become helpless victims. That's right. That's right. Amen. Um, in the past, we've discussed Zimbabwe um, under Mugabe and his uh, slaughter of white farmers and the stealing of their property. Now I understand the new government has, um, they've agreed to compensate white farmers. Could you tell us what's really going on there? (laughs) Well, yes, I I used to live in Rhodesia. I was was brought up in Rhodesia, and I I understand the situation very well. We've been smuggling uh, a lot of materials, Bibles, uh, even relief aid, even medicine to people in Zimbabwe, economic prisoners who've had their farms destroyed and stolen and so on. And um, thank you for the uh, um, press reports you sent through to me, but they're actually very deceptive press reports because mm. they make com- comments like uh, that um, they resettled 300,000 black farmers on those lands. Well, I don't know what they're talking about because there's all those 4,500 farms that were owned by white commercial farmers uh, have been destroyed. And uh, even the ones that were stolen by the government uh, aren't operating properly and can't feed anyone. And the hundreds of thousands of black families that were living on there, on these farms, receiving employment and everything else, they lost their farms, they lost their homes, they lost everything. They've moved into the city. When they talk about relocating, there was no relocating of of black families onto white farms. There was a mass exodus of the hundreds of thousands of black families who were living on the farms, employed by and uh, housed by and fed by those commercial farmers into the shanty towns in uh, in the city. So uh, these farms, I can take you all over them now, they're empty, they're desolate, they they ate the milk cows, they destroyed everything, they looted it and then went back to the cities. So uh, there was no relocation. There was no farm reform. It was just destruction on the same scale as the decolonization of the Ukraine by Stalin Lenin. So um, what's going on right now is President Emerson Manangagwa, who's Mugabe's number two, his vice president, who now is the new leader. He's trying to pretend it's a new dawn. Zimbabwe's open to business. 
And so he says, we want to compensate the white farmers uh, for the farm that were illegally taken away from them. And uh, we need uh, 3.5 billion to do it. Unfortunately, we don't have the money. Uh, can Western countries give us the money to compensate our farmers? Now, basically, what this comes down to is at the end of this press report, Mullingagwa says they cannot reverse the land reform. In other words, they can't return to people what they've stole, but they need to pay compensation, and it's key to mending ties to the West. What he's saying is we need foreign aid from the West, but we won't get foreign aid until we are seen to redress the injustices of the uh, farm invasions. Oh. And so what he's saying is uh, we need to get money from you for free. Can you please pay us so that we can pay off the people that we stole from and abused and those who are still alive um, so that we can be uh, in line for getting more free aid from you. So it's, it's, it's like some drug addict coming on the street to you and saying, you know, I really want to make a gift of this and this to you, but first I need to pay these debts of mine with the uh, local casino and the <laughs> local drug dealer and so on, and uh, then I'll be able to make this donation to your church or, or whatever your cause is. It's, it's a total scam. Uh, and it's actually quite clever if you think about it. They're offering nothing of their own, but they're wanting you to pay for both the compensation and to keep their Marxist dictatorship afloat. So uh, it's it's a, a nothing story except for the fact that, in a sense, it's an admission of total economic failure of just mm. another communist state. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. And that's and uh, as you said, you know, uh, who are they going to compensate uh, if they if they were able to flee? They did. And who knows where they are? Uh, but many of them, how many of them were killed? Are they how are they going to uh, oh, how are they going to yes. compensate uh, them? They can't compensate the widows and orphans and the murdered farmers and the people who were tortured and all that. And uh, yet, you know, the incredible thing is that uh, the uh, things that are acquired by illegal means, um, God does not bless. You can see the curse of God upon that society. Mm -hmm. But some of those farmers, um, many hundreds of them actually, who lost their farms in Zimbabwe, went north to Zambia and rebuilt their lives from nothing and out of wilderness created great farms. And Zambia is now exporting food, including <laughs> sending food aid to, Zim to wow. Zimbabwe from farmers who uh, I've had this straight from uh, President Manangagwa, uh, 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 um, Manangwasha uh, over in, in Norman, um, in Zambia, saying that it's the Zimbabwe farmers, the white extraditions who were kicked out by Mugabe, that have made Zambia now self-sufficient agriculturally, that they're able to export food and feed themselves. So uh, other farmers, I know, went to Mozambique, uh, others went to Nigeria and the Congo, and were welcomed by the countries there with the agricultural skills and, and abilities, and they provide tremendous employment and help to feed the people, which they need because they used to get exported food from Rhodesia and South Africa, but they can't anymore because of farm invasions in our countries. So now uh, there are black countries in, in the north of Africa welcoming white farmers from Rhodesia and South Africa uh, who are helping them to become food sufficient because they weren't able to be food sufficient before. So there's an interesting story, but Basically, if a person reads between lines, he can see yeah. socialism, complete failure. They can't even feed themselves. Wow. They totally depend on charity and handouts. And if it wasn't for Westerners willing to bail them out, uh, they would all sink. And to be honest, that would be the most honorable thing to do, to let these dictatorships sink so that these countries could get freedom. The problem in Africa is that you've got Western countries bailing out Marxist dictators who are brutalizing their own populations. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, I'm assuming that Zambia's government is not communist. Exactly. They were communists for 27 years, oh. but praise God, in 1991, they got rid of the Marxist dictatorship there. Uh, and I had the joy of being part of that and being friends with the new government because I'd been locked up in 1987 under Kenneth Kuhunda's socialist regime. And in my cell, the presidential detainee cell, where you detained without charge uh, and uh, on, the, on the pleasure of the president, who is then dictator for life, uh, Kenneth Gonda. Uh, in this, my cell, I didn't know, was the future Minister of Education, the future Minister of uh, um, uh, Vice President, and a whole lot of other key things. And so I became a VIP good friend guest of the government of uh, Zambia after overthrew the Marxist and uh, was able to help them on quite a range of things. So um, yes, Zambia became a free market success story wow. while Zimbabwe was going down into the hellhole of socialist basket case. Wow. Wow. That, that's a, what a great story that is about Zambia. It's such good news. Um, yeah, no, Zambia is quite extraordinary. Uh, once they came to power in 1991, uh, Frederick Chaluba's uh, government uh, declared the country a Christian gov government. They abolished uh, abortion, pornography, uh, homosexuality, all these things. They um, Bible back in the schools, prayer back in the schools, and government and army commissars out, chaplains in. There was a lot of good things that, that happened in Zambia, and they had national days of repentance, had national days of thanksgiving, led by the president. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was very hard to imagine. I had been brutalized in there as a prisoner uh, just a few years before, and, and uh, next thing I'm uh, meeting the president and uh, praying with him and having Bible study. So <laughs> Zambia is just an extraordinary, and Zambia used to be the base for terrorists going across the border into Rhodesia, Southwest Africa, and Angola and Mozambique. And uh, now, since then, it's been a base for missionaries going across the border into all the neighboring countries. And one of the most important bases of operation has been Zambia. So it just shows that any country can be one to Christ. We mustn't have a defeatist view, uh, just like Russia was able to rid itself of the Bolshevik communist scum. Uh, so uh, Zambia has been able to rid itself of communism. Uh, we, we've got to look ahead to the victory. Well, that's a word of encouragement to, to end our, our segment on. I love it. Since I want the listeners to be educated by your brilliant research, Peter, where can the listeners follow and support your excellent work and purchase your books? Where can they do that? Thank you. Well, our mission's Frontline Fellowship. You can find us on Facebook, Frontline Fellowship, and on the web, it's www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org. Um, our email, mission at frontline.org.za. Excellent. And your, your books are there. Also, um, you have many, I mean, articles. You have so many resources that they can learn even more. Like slavery, terrorism, and Islam, faith under fire in Sudan, uh, killing fields in Mozambique, Holocaust, and Rwanda. I mean, these are firsthand eyewitness books I've put together. And we've got videos, uh, insights, and uh, especially on revolution, because in recent months I've been trying to help people to understand how revolutionaries think, how they work, what the tactics are, how we can beat them. So you'll find it all at frontlinemissionsa.org. Excellent. And as always, I'll have that information in my after show, which is now on the live show page. Just go to audreyrusso.com, click on the on-air button, and right under the show description, you'll find all the links and info that Peter just shared as always, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to share your brilliant assessments with us. We're looking forward to your return to the show. Until then, may God bless you, your work, and may God save America. Bye for now. Thank you, Audrey. God bless. Thank you.